Hello everyone, this is Jerome. I serve as a community pastor here at First Christian Church. Welcome to our brand new podcast. I'm so glad that we get to serve you today through this message. God bless you. Let's get into the word. Well, good morning. I hope, uh, like Jerome said, I hope you all have been enjoying the, the chilly weather that we have gotten over the last couple of days. I know uh, that I certainly have, and uh, it makes it kind of feel a little bit more like Christmas, right? We get to kick on the heat for like a couple hours in the morning until it hits like 1030, and then it's time for that to go off again, right? Like, <laughs> whatever. But it makes it feel a little bit more like the Christmas season for me, and um, I, I made a, a resolution this year that I was like, I was really going to hit it hard with, with the Christmas season this year and like really leaning into like all of the stereotypical Christmas things because I feel like oftentimes like I just get going in Christmas and then like boom, it's gone. And I'm like, man, I didn't, I didn't actually really get to enjoy that. And so uh, one of the big things that I've been doing is I've been watching a lot of Christmas movies. And not just like your typical Christmas movies, your Home Alone, your Christmas Story, all that stuff. But no, like like leaning into the, the Hallmark romance, like cheesy, cheesy movies. Like really, yeah, some claps right here, right? Like I, I'm leaning into those this year. And I, I love those movies. I love those movies because they are just so terrible, right? Like, they're, they're awful. The acting is terrible. The plot lines are terrible and predictive and unimaginative. But I love it because I'm sitting there in the glow of my Christmas tree, and I got, I got my, my hot chocolate, and I'm living into it. There's one thing that I cannot get past about Hallmark movies, and that is <clears throat> their interpretation of snow, or fake snow. And it seems like to me when I was younger, like they used to try a little bit harder. Like they'd bring in some, some snow machines or something. Now I've been watching and it looks like literally they just take some cotton and throw it down on a ledge or on like a palm tree and they call it good. And I'm like, what, what is this? Like don't insult my intelligence, Hallmark. Like do, do a little bit better. And I don't know, maybe it's because I come from a place that's snowy. And so like, I appreciate snow a little bit more, but that is the one thing, my gosh, I cannot get past. I was reflecting on that this week. And I was reflecting on uh, kind of what we're going to be talking about, what we're going to be sharing about this week. And, and even though <clears throat> I think Hallmark struggles with their interpretation of, of snow uh, Vermont, they, they, they set these places in Vermont and Canada and Massachusetts, and they're filming, you know, in the middle of July in L.A., right? Like, it's like, give me, give me a little something, right? But I think that we, in our spiritual lives, need a little bit more of the hallmark approach to Christmas. In other words, I think it's easy for us to see the good news of Christmas during the Christmas season. It's easy for us to see and to share the good news of Christmas for four weeks in December. But are we taking that good news and are we reflecting it in the middle of July, in August, in September, in March, throughout the entire year, 365 days a year, what does this story mean for us and how do we go about sharing this good news. 
And I want to talk a little bit more about that this morning in the lens of the Christmas story out of Luke. Uh, Jerome last week walked us through the Christmas story in Matthew. We're in this small series, Home for the Holidays, where we're looking at the three accounts of Jesus' birth in Matthew, Luke, and then in John, which, <clears throat> excuse me, which Chuck will walk us through next week. So we're going to look at the, the account in Luke this morning, Luke chapter 2, 1 through 20. And before we get into that, just a little bit of context for you for this familiar passage this morning. So Luke details the preparation of the arrival of Jesus. There is all this preparation that goes into this, and he, he tells about the foretellings of both the birth of John the Baptist and then of Jesus. And he tells about the birth of John the Baptist and then the angel Gabriel coming to Mary and telling her this good news that she will bear the Messiah, this long-awaited Messiah is coming to earth and Mary will bear this child. And then we jump into Luke's accounts of the birth of our Savior. So we're going to jump into this and we're going to read this in two sections this morning. And break this up, starting in verse 1. So read along with me. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from a town in Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So I want to pause there for a second. And I, and I want us to, to walk through a couple of takeaways, what I see out of this, uh, this, this story this morning. And the first one is this. That Christ was for all people from the beginning. Christ was for all people from the beginning. What strikes me about this story is the intentionality of the circumstances that Jesus has put in from the beginning. And what I mean is that everything surrounding Jesus' birth is anchored in humility God chooses this unassuming couple in Mary and Joseph who hold no power, who hold no esteem, who hold no wealth. And yet they are chosen to bear 
this Messiah. Instead of coming to earth as this flashy king, Jesus comes as a meek and vulnerable infant. Instead of being born in a palace surrounded by riches and surrounded by royalty, Jesus is born in a feeding trough for livestock, likely in a cave, because there is literally nowhere else for him to go. Everything surrounding the birth of this child is anchored in humility. And all of these things were intentional because all of these things made Jesus accessible. He was an accessible Messiah, both for the rich and powerful, who, who we see in, in, the, in the Magi, who, who Jerome talked about last week, and also for the, for the vulnerable in society, also for the low in society, in the shepherds, which we read about this week. His posture from the very beginning signifies whose king he is. He has come for all people, even before he speaks a word that is clear. <clears throat> when, when Hannah and I, when my wife and I were living out in California, we lived with a host family. Um, and this, this host family was so generous, they were so kind, they put us up for two years while we were living out there. And they were, they were very wealthy, very well-off family. But some of the most grounded, down-to-earth, kind and generous people that you will ever meet. And Hannah told me uh, at one time, one of the interactions that she had had with, with Jennifer, uh, who was, who's the wife of this couple. And Jennifer was casually mentioning that she had hosted some parties in a row, and uh, she was feeling a little tired, and she was looking forward to getting some rest. And Hannah just kind of casually off the cuff and mentioned, well, that's great. You deserve that. And Jennifer, in this moment, pauses, and she says something that will stick with me forever. She said, who really deserves anything? Who deserves anything? And I'm struck by that humility. Because these people worked very hard to be where they were. They earned what they had. And not only did they earn what they had, but they gave generously with what they had. They were good stewards with the resources that God had blessed them with. And if anyone deserved what they had, it was them. But there's his humble heart that is reflected in that statement. And I was reflecting on this idea of humility this week and, and what it really communicates when we are humble. What humility communicates and why it is so impactful is that it is a special kind of love. Humility is a special kind of love. It is a love that says my circumstances and your circumstances, our circumstances together, do not determine your value. They do not determine your value. They do not determine my value. I am no better or worse than you. When we are humble, we lay down notions of what we think that we are owed or what we are deserve or what we deserve. And it gives us room then to contend for others because we are no longer contending for ourselves. And this 
is the first step in living out this Christmas story, this hope of Christmas, which we read in these pages every single year in December. This is the first step in living this out for an entire year. Because this is exactly the kind of humility that Jesus shows in this passage. The underwhelming nature of Jesus' arrival exemplifies that. And it was intentional. So church, let's ask ourselves this morning, do we reflect the humility of our Savior in this story? And our measuring stick for that question is to ask ourselves this, are we genuinely for, our, for all people? Does our posture, like that of Jesus, communicate contention for all people? Like Jesus came for the shepherds, are we for the oppressed and the abused? Do we hear their story and do we believe them? Are we for the unborn, not just in the womb, but after birth? Do we contend for them? Do we contend for women who have had or are considering abortions? Do we surround them with love, with care, with compassion, with resources? Are we for... Republicans and Democrats across the political spectrum. Not because we agree, but because we recognize human dignity outside of politics. Does our posture in person or on social media reflect that dignity? And here I think is where it gets tricky. Because in theory, we should absolutely be for all people. In theory, we should absolutely be for these people that I just listed. But for us to actually get there, for us to actually reflect Jesus, we must bring ourselves to this humble place which Jesus reflects in this story. A place that admits that we don't know everything. A place that admits that we haven't experienced everything. A place that requires us to listen more than we speak to put aside notions of the world in favor of justice, in favor of empathy, and in favor of compassion. And that is a lifelong journey. It's a lifelong journey, and that's something that I don't think we ever fully are able to get. But the good news is that there was one person who lived on earth who did get that. And he's the one that we read about here in this story. This is the life that Jesus calls us to model, and he shows it to us beautifully here. The Savior of the world, a humble, meek, and gentle baby boy, here for all. And who calls us to the same posture as we contend for people. So do we carry an attitude that we are owed nothing? but instead that we are here for all people. And we are not here to save people. That's important. Jesus does that work. We are not here to save people. But we are here as Christians, as followers of Christ, to be a welcoming, safe, and accessible presence. That's what Jesus calls us to. And as we contend for others, we lean then into the peace of God in this world. And that's what I want to spend the last couple of minutes talking about in the lens of this final point, which is this. 
that the peace of Christ transcends this moment. The peace of Christ transcends this moment. And I'll explain more about what I mean here in a moment. But I want to look at the final section of this passage this morning. And we're going to focus on one particular verse in this. But I want to read the entire thing because we're going to have some sharing time at the end. And I, and I want you to listen to this passage and think about what is sticking out to you. What do you see in this story as we go? So picking up again here in verse 13, we are out in the field with the shepherds and the angel has come to them and told them about this great news. And then this happens here. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all of these things. And pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. For they were just as they had been told. So the peace of Christ transcends this moment. As I was studying this message, I noticed something in this passage that I had never noticed before. And I've read this passage a billion times like most of us. But I noticed something I'd never noticed before. My Bible had a footnote on verse 14. And it was talking about something called Pax Romana. And, and Pax Romana, translated into English, means Roman peace. And I was curious, so I did a little bit more research on this. And, and essentially, Pax Romana was this time period in Rome, about a 200-year time period, that there was great peace and great prosperity, great wealth throughout the country throughout the, the empire. And this was, this was right in the middle of this time period when, when Jesus was born. So Jesus was born right in the middle of Pax Romana. And for the Romans in this time, this idea of peace was a, was a very fluid thing. It was, it was this idea that was based on the external factors of what was happening around them. In other words, it, it, you're at peace or you're at war. Either or. You are at peace or you are at war. You are at peace or you are broke. You are at peace or you are in famine. Peace is, can, is 100% dependent on what is going around you, what is going on around you, your circumstances. Peace existed in this land, but not because of God. It was because of Rome. Not because of God, but because of what was happening in Rome. But this idea of peace, which is talked about here in verse 14, where the angels come to them and say, and on, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This peace, which is talked about, is so much deeper than peace simply through our external circumstances. This divine peace that is talked about here in this scripture is consistent. It's constant. 
no matter what changes around us, this peace stays the same. Because this peace is fully dependent on Jesus. And I think that this idea of peace, this idea of divine peace, is hard for us to grasp, especially now, especially what's going on around us, because it feels like for the last two years we have been living at anything but peace. We are at war with one another consistently, whether literally at war or ideologically at war. We are constantly in contention with other people. That has been our reality, especially for the last two years. But as we consider the hope of Christmas all year, what I want to challenge us with is this. To broaden our understanding of peace. Let's broaden our understanding of peace. Because Isaiah 9 prophesies this child and calls him the Prince of Peace and says the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. There will be no end. This Savior brings peace because of the cross. The Savior would go on to grow, to touch lives, to teach, to go to a cross, to die for us and resurrect so that we are at peace between God and man. And it is so much broader than this time. It is so much broader than what is happening right now in 2020, 2021. This peace is so much bigger. And it's because of that that this peace is experienced on two different levels. First, it's a personal peace. And it's this idea that no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what we've experienced, no matter what has happened to us, that we are saved by grace. And our circumstances, our sin, our pain, all the things that we have experienced, those things do not define us. Those things do not define us. And it doesn't mean that those things don't matter. It doesn't mean that those things aren't real. It doesn't mean that those things don't need to be dealt with. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that ultimately those things don't define us because Jesus is bigger than those things. And that's the hope of Christmas. That is what we are living into, not just three, four weeks in December, but every day. That is the hope. So that's the first thing, personal, personal peace, not based on circumstances, not based on what's happening externally, but simply because of Jesus. And the second one is this, is it is felt communally. When we live into this peace that is promised to us through this, this story, we feel it communally. I follow a, a pastor on Twitter. His name is Rich Velotis. He, he pastors a church out in New York City, and he tweeted something out the other day, which I thought was profound and stuck with me, and I think fits very well with what we're talking about here this morning. He tweeted this. He said, in a world torn by rage and anxiety, one of the greatest gifts that followers of Jesus are called to offer is a simple, non-anxious presence. Not a presence that is removed from this reality, but a presence that refuses to be shaped by it. Church, when we have the peace of Christ, this is what it should look like. 
exactly what was just said. When there is anything but, but peace around us, we strive to bring peace. We strive to be a presence that is non-anxious. When everything else around us is full of anxiety, we refuse to do that. Not because we are removed from what's happening, not because we have blinders on, not because we, 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 we have our heads in the sand and we're not aware of what's going on, not because of that, but because we are shaped by something that is so much deeper than our circumstances. We are shaped by something that is so much deeper than our circumstances, and that is a peace that is, uh, of Christ that is so much bigger than what we experience here. And when we do that, we bring peace to the chaos. We bring peace to a chaotic world. And what that looks like is that we choose to be something different. So instead of engaging with that fight in, on Facebook, we just keep scrolling. Instead of arguing only our side, we sit and we ask questions. And we genuinely seek to understand the perspective of others. We intentionally seek relationship with people who are different than us. We ask God to reveal the places where we miss him to remove that plank before we worry about the speck in our brothers. We trust that nothing surprises God. Nothing surprises God, that his peace and his power transcends even the worst that this day can offer. Friends, nothing surprises God. He's not surprised by even the worst that this has to offer. And our job in that is not to change the world. That's God's job. Our job is not to change the world. Our job as his followers is to love the world. And that is what a non-anxious presence does. It loves the world. This is what peace to those on whom his favor rests looks like. Do we genuinely have the peace of God? And are we living through that. And this is how we practically live out the good news every day. Because this is what our world needs. is a presence that is rooted in the peace of Christ. So what we want to do is, before we, before we close, I want to jump into a, a time of sharing. And I'm curious to know what you saw and what you recognized in the scripture. So there are mics over here on each uh, aisles, each of the aisles, and we would love to hear from you about what you saw and experienced in this passage. Good morning, Pastor Tyler. That was an awesome message. And uh, what I was hearing was that our Father God, being a good, good Father, uh, also wants to celebrate with us his only begotten and that he wants us to realize that we need to keep our thoughts off the negativity and onto the positive things and resting in that peace of Christ. Your message was really strong and really touched my heart. Thank you. Thank you, Ruben. I appreciate that. 
I love the, uh, the sediment of, of celebration because that's what this story is. Right? And when we do focus on the positives and the things that Jesus brings to us in this world and on this earth, again, not that we are removed from the things that are going on around us, but we get the opportunity to celebrate that. So what else? What else did you notice here in this scripture? Good morning, family. So I have some amazing news, and, and I'm not sure if all, all my family knows, but uh, uh, my wife has been going through some trials lately, and we had answered prayer Friday, and uh, she is cancer-free. So <laughs> praise God. Outside of that, so uh, two years ago, no, excuse me, four years ago when I was going through alongside ministries, uh, I had some some trials going on, and, and I remember, you know, I had the peace of Christ going on in my life. Um, amazing, like like you're talking about. Uh, I was on my way to go fix uh, this lady's sink. She had leaks and, and all kinds of stuff going on at her house, and she was just a mess. And uh, on my way to my her house, I... Uh, my truck was breaking down. It's, it's literally dying. I pulled into her parking lot. I had to call the tow truck service so that I could get my truck home for her. So I'm on the phone with the tow truck company calling them to get them to tow my truck home while I'm under the sink. I'm on speakerphone. I'm fixing her sink and getting all these things taken care of her. And uh, you know, I got all, all these trials and issues, and, and this lady's like, after I got off the phone, and she's like, I don't understand how you do that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, I would be a frantic mess if all that was happening to me right now, and you're underneath the sink fixing it. And I said, you know, the, I, I have the peace of Christ, and I know that things are all, all things are going to work out for the good. And it ended up, you know, uh, just fine. I got home late. I was late to my uh, Bible study that uh, I was forgiven for. <laughs> and, uh, you know, those are some things today that, like, uh, I have a lot of trials going on in my life. And I know that, you know, I get to stand firm because Christ is with me through all things and through answered prayer. We get to give glory to God. That's what it's all about. Amen, Dale. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that's exactly what a non-anxious presence looks like right there, Dale. That's exactly what it means. And people can see that. People can feel that. And that's the good news. Well, friends, thank you for listening this morning. Thank you for engaging in this story. What an incredible hope that this story is. What an incredible joy that this story is. And as we sing this last song this morning, what I ask for us is to consider this peace. Consider this peace that we have because of this baby boy. And what would that look like for us to share this good news as we go throughout our year? Let's pray, Sam.